G'day, I'm Cam Buchanan from Mount Gambier, Australia, and this is Devotions in the Deep End. Grab a coffee, open your Bible to Luke chapter 10, and we'll get started in just a few moments. Let's read together from verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. According to John's Gospel, Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus enjoyed a significant relationship with Jesus. It seems that one day he'd travelled through their village, either before or after one of his Passover visits to Jerusalem, and he'd managed to befriend this family. John points out that Jesus, in his humanness, had grown quite attached to them, even weeping deeply and openly when their brother had passed away. We also know that Jesus made a significant impact in their lives when he raised Lazarus from the dead. So it's fair to say that the two women in this passage have a deep sense of regard and reverence for Jesus. They knew him personally, and they knew his resurrection power, a stance I hope you as a believer and listener hold as well. They were in very elite company given the miracle they'd received, and they are clearly devoted to him. This passage shows us the way this devotion they hold manifests itself. You have two sisters with two strikingly different responses. Let's start with Martha. I know she is presented in a negative light in this passage, but I have a sense of sympathy for her. On a human level in first century Palestine, she was doing what society expected of her. She made the invite, so she ensures that guests eat. But by making such an invite, she's made a pretty decent rod for her back. There would be at least 16 people to feed, and that's a conservative number because there's no way the room would have just had the disciples and her siblings alone. 16 is just the known guest list at this point. She is also aware that she has special company. Her use of the word Lord to describe Jesus is a significant choice here. So the pressure to provide a meal fit for a king was also going on. She would have gone into MasterChef mode all of a sudden, ensuring the Lord had a meal that he and his entourage would remember for days and weeks to come. Everything had to be perfect because after all, it was Jesus sitting at the table. She would work as hard as she could and Jesus would be really impressed with what she brought to the table. And right there, we see the mindset of a whole lot of people when they encounter Jesus. Martha is a classic case of a Christian who makes ongoing service the sole display of their devotion. This type of Christian believes the most effective way of pleasing Jesus, the most effective way of making space for him in their lives, the clearest way to show their appreciation or love for him is to roll their sleeves up and get to work. Churches are full of people who think this way, and if I'm honest, I'd suggest the first few years of my own faith walk was lived out this way too. But the case of Martha and her devotion shows us something we would do well to note. 
this sort of faith expression actually operates more from a carnal mindset than a spiritual one. Not only that, but it's more commonly found in believers who don't mature in their faith. Consider this. In the world, we learn to gain the approval of others by working ourselves as hard as we can. Just think about the expectations of society. A person who lives deliberately on unemployment benefits and refuses to work is looked down on, and a person who works hard and crazy hours to the point of self-harm gets the accolades and the promotions. Even in relationships, we give more attention to those who have more to offer and less to those that deplete us in one way or another. And Martha is bringing that thinking to her service to Jesus. Society, not religion I might add, had taught her that it would be shameful for her if she messed up in the area of service. She hadn't yet grasped that the kingdom of God operated on a whole different level and that acceptance and approval was not measured the same way as the world. An immature faith doesn't properly understand the measuring rod of the kingdom of God, where service is very much secondary. It's an outflow of faith rather than a means of acceptance, and something greater would be desired. That phrase takes us to the living room where Mary is located. It was kind of expected that she would be in the preparation area with her sister because the societal order demanded this. But Mary was having difficulty leaving the dining area because Jesus was there. She was completely captured and in the moment. She has done exactly what the disciples have done. She has taken a seat at the feet of Jesus. She is submitted and allowing him to teach her. More importantly, he was permitting her to sit there and be taught. Rabbis rarely, if ever, took on female disciples back then, but Jesus allowed it in our text today and in several other instances. For Mary in the here and now, the meal could wait, the service could wait, because Jesus was speaking. And sitting and hearing all that he had to say was a, in fact, the higher priority. There would be a time when he would be fatigued, when he would sit back and stare hungrily towards the kitchen, when he'd said all that he came to say when service was called for. Until then, Mary was happy to simply sit and take it all in. For me, Mary is what mature Christianity looks like. Mature faith understands that discipleship and kingdom-building service is a marathon, not a sprint. As newer disciples, they probably used to run hard all the time, serving and working and striving because there was a greater degree of carnality in their understanding of faith. But either by necessity through burnout or hopefully naturally through revelation, they've learned that there are even greater things to pursue in their faith expression. A mature faith discerns when Jesus is in the room. A mature faith makes the time to sit and listen. A mature faith knows that life can wait, the outside world can wait, service can wait, even ministry can wait, until Jesus has done what he needs to do in us. The results speak for themselves. We see in the immature actions of Martha that taking a solely servant approach to faith has a rather thin veneer. Bubbling just below the surface is a whole heap of overwhelming emotions, discouragement, and even anger. She is getting bitter and flustered and is clearly holding a sense of disdain for the one who was sitting in the other room. And her interaction with Jesus in that state is less than stellar, isn't it? She made Jesus a guest in her home. This is the place of greatest intimacy possible in that ancient setting. Then she proceeded to make him a rather uncomfortable guest. Look at the dialogue here. Hey Jesus, 
I invited you into my home, and I've gotten to work totally to please you. I'm cooking a feast. I'm slaving over a hot stove. I've missed what I was chopping, and my hands are covered in band-aids. I've burned myself on the boiling water. I'm working myself to the bone, and I've got the scars to prove it. But none of that seems to matter to you right now, and all your attention is going to my slacker sister right now. Jesus, you, the Savior of the world, proclaimer of the kingdom of God, guest in my home, you should be telling my sister to get back to work here. If all you are doing is serving and not sitting, your attitude will express itself in a similar way. I'm doing everything. The rest of the church are slackers or uncommitted or lukewarm. I'm the guy, Jesus. Everybody else should be like me. A life where we measure our faith and devotion by our service robs us of the full picture of what relationship with Jesus really is. It leads to comparison and even disillusionment because our outlook on Christian living is unbalanced. And Jesus is keen to show a better way here. In Romans chapter 5, verse 19, Paul tells us that we are made righteous. We are put in right standing with God. But this only occurs through the actions of Jesus, not us. He earned that right for us. We didn't. Paul reminds us again in Ephesians chapter 2 that we have got nothing to boast about. It is all a matter of grace from God that saves us from our life of sin. Our actions do not feature in this. A lifestyle of constantly working for God to show yourself worthy or gain His attention or affection was never the plan for us. So while Martha is complaining about the work still to be done, Jesus takes the side of the apparent underdog in this little discourse. He clearly and publicly corrects the focus of Martha by commending the actions of her sister. Jesus states here that when it came to interacting with him, Mary chose the best course of action. You see, while Martha was off doing the work, she was actually absent from the voice of the Lord. Jesus points out here that her cares are everywhere but where Jesus was. She had social expectations to live up to, people to please and a sweat to raise. Mary instead notices that Jesus is already speaking, so she drops everything, says nothing, and simply absorbs what is being said. The service she would normally be doing would wait until Jesus had stopped speaking. Friend, I'm firmly convinced that Jesus is not done speaking even today. The Holy Spirit still remains on the earth. His purpose is to teach us all things, which means this principle of placing ourselves at the feet of Jesus still applies today. Sometimes it's convenient to stay away from that voice. Many times that voice leads to change in our lives, awareness of things not quite right, and the invitation to grow in character. Sometimes action takes the place of transformation, and distraction can easily take the place of devotion. Martha chose work and distraction. Mary chose seated devotion. Now, was Martha completely wrong? Does service mean anything at all? Well, it certainly does. The book of Acts is a rather comprehensive presentation of Christian service. James makes a bold statement that faith without deeds is dead, that if faith isn't springboarding us into action, something is not quite right. But it's our priority that messes things up. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul balances things out, reminding us that as grace saves us, we are then prepared and equipped for service for Him. While Peter tells us that our service should only really come from God's supplied strength. The thing we need to get right in all this is balance and motivation. In our passage, service was taught as the lesser of the two postures. 
Sitting at the feet of Jesus is a far greater measure of intimacy and relationship than service will ever be. It's from the feet of Jesus that we find the motivation and the passion for our actions and our service. Devotion should begin in a seated fashion well before we do any running. Service is definitely endorsed. It's encouraged. It's commended throughout the entire New Testament, but never at the expense of time in the presence of Jesus. So as we come to a close with this thought, let me offer some thoughts on what the church does not need at this time. We don't need churches full of hard workers who don't sit, workers who don't know the voice of God, who don't know how to be still in the times before they are required to serve. These sorts of workers don't have staying power, and they quickly get jaded, discouraged, and even burnt out. A writer from Sri Lanka named Ajith Fernando once wrote that burnout occurs when the wick is burning, but the oil has dried up. We also don't need churches full of people who sit around and never serve. I try not to be too confronting on these podcasts because I want you to come back and listen more. But can I say this? If you've been sitting on the sidelines for a while now, waiting for the Lord to lead you to where you should be, can I suggest getting up and doing something? Chances are he's already spoken enough to let you know where you should be. Even Mary got up to serve at some point that evening. But she did so with Jesus endorsing all that she did. I'm going to finish this time with a practical challenge. How about starting a new habit even today? If you don't already, why not start with a habit of sitting at a time that is not negotiable, where nothing and nobody can interrupt you? I would suggest setting apart a decent amount of time too. 10 minutes for the opportunity of a lifetime might not cut it. Once you've made that time, simply sit. Don't have a list. Don't have an agenda. Just have a heart that is separated from distraction. Maybe you could begin that time with a prayer that goes a little like this. Lord, I am not so busy that you don't matter. I really long for this level of intimacy that I'm hearing about now. Right now, I choose to put all my cares out of my mind and focus on you alone. I love you and I want to know you so much more. I am here now to simply listen. Then, how about fostering a habit of service from that posture? Again, can you set apart a non-negotiable portion of time where you can commit to intentional, empowered service? I promise your pastor would be overjoyed to hear about whatever the Lord places on your heart. I also promise that if this service comes from a seated place instead of a carnal place, it will flourish. From the seated place, your service will be sustained and your commitments to the rest of your life will not suffer. Friend, take your cues from Mary. Don't serve before you sit. Sit before you serve. And when Jesus is speaking, take the opportunity to remain seated. When he looks to something else where he needs to be served, stand up and do your part. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about this podcast and other ministries I'm involved in, go to my new website, www.ministryinthedeepend.com.au. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and even YouTube. So please like, follow, subscribe, connect, and comment wherever you can. I look forward to catching up next time. See you then.